We have enjoyed so much being here with you this week. We leave here today blessed in our spirits and with a bunch of new friends. And so thank you. Thank you so much for your kindness to us. All of you have been so very kind, courteous, and we've appreciated the warm welcome we've received from you. Thank you, Pastor Tony, for all you have done and others with him to prepare for this meeting. We've been on the other side. We pastored for a number of years, and it takes a little work to get ready for a meeting like this. The, the accommodations have been fantastic, and the meals, uh, everything. So thank you so much. In faith, I thank you for the love offering we'll receive uh, at some point before we're out of here. And you all have been so generous already. So thank you so much. We love you already and hope to come back as soon as we can. If I had one song left to sing, I think it would be this one. It's my testimony. In my darkness, Jesus found me. Touched my eyes and made me see Broke sin's chains that long had bound me Gave me life and liberty Oh, glorious love of Christ my Lord divine that made him stoop to save a soul like mine through all my days and then in heaven above my song will silence never I'll worship him forever and praise him for his glorious love. Listen. Oh, amazing truth to ponder. He whom angel hosts attend. Lord of heaven, God's Son, what wonder, oh, he became this sinner's friend. Oh, glorious love of Christ, my Lord, divine, that made him stoop to save a soul like mine. All my days and then in heaven above my song will silence never and I'll worship him forever and praise him for his glorious love oh glorious love of Christ my Lord divine that made him stoop to save a soul like mine through all my days and then in heaven above oh my song will silence never I'll worship him forever and praise him for his glorious love my song will 
and ever, and I'll worship Him forever, and praise Him for His glorious love, and praise Him for His glorious love. What glorious love. You know, it's not a miracle that I accepted Jesus. The miracle is that He accepted me. It's not a miracle that I love Jesus, except it is. The only way I can love Him is because He enables me to. The miracle is that He would love me. But thank God for His glorious love. Unworthy though I am, He loves me. And He loved me so much, Paul said in Romans, that He was willing to die while we were yet sinners. He died for us. That's His love. He doesn't just come to this earth saying, I love you. He came showing, demonstrating His love. And He's demonstrating His love even this morning to each of us in this room today. He loves you. And He has His wonderful Spirit to fill you if you will allow Him to. Mark chapter 10 is where I invite your attention this morning for the last message of the revival. Mark chapter 10, and I want to read verses 17 through 22. Those of you who have been raised in church or know your Bible will be very familiar with the story that is encapsulated in these verses. We call it the story of the rich young ruler. And the reason we call him that is not because the Bible calls him that. I mean, the Bible doesn't say he was a rich young ruler, but the Bible does say in all three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, that he was rich or he had great possessions. Matthew tells us he was young, and Luke tells us he was a ruler. And so we put all three of those gospel accounts together, and we call him the rich young ruler. And so let's read about this conversation between he and our master, the Lord Jesus. Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, Jesus, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. He was rich. He possessed great advantage. He could accomplish so much with his great wealth. Every door was open to him because he was rich. He was young which means he possessed great opportunity. He had his entire life before him. He could become anything he wanted. So many opportunities. And the Bible tells us he was a ruler. He possessed great authority. At a young age, he commanded others. He held other lives in his hand. 
He impacted and influenced, even controlled others. And perhaps he felt as though he commanded his own destiny. He believed that he had the world on a string. He was in complete control of his own life. This is how he felt. He was obviously ambitious at a young age. He was rich and a ruler. Maybe he looked at Jesus and this kingdom he preached about as just another challenge to be conquered. What else can I accomplish? He might have looked at Jesus and this talk of the kingdom and thought, maybe this is another club I should join. No doubt he belonged to all the social clubs that mattered in Jerusalem. He comes to Jesus running and kneeling because that's how you treated rabbis in that culture. And he came with this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, he was a religious man. He knew all of the rules of the Jewish religion. He had gone to synagogue since he was a little boy. I don't know if any of you remember the, the little character in the Betty Lucan's, you know, the flannel graph uh, thing, things that kids used to, uh, Sunday school teachers used to teach kids, a little guy by the name of Sunday school Charlie. But this was Sunday school Charlie, except he was a Jew, of course, so there's probably no Sunday school. But he had done everything right. I mean, he tied his tie straight. He buttoned his coat when he was supposed to. His shoes were always shined. And he did everything right externally. And so he, he asked the question, what must I do? And Jesus starts down a well-known list of commandments that this young man no doubt has heard from his earliest memories. Don't commit adultery. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. But Jesus hadn't just thrown out random commands. He wasn't just picking out commands off the top of his head, as we might say. No, these are not commands recited on a whim by Jesus. These are all the commands that have to do with external behavior, what people can observe, what you do with your body outwardly. And Jesus chose those on purpose to teach this rich young ruler a lesson. Adultery, theft, cheating dishonoring your parents, these commands are all related to outward acts of obedience. When the rich young ruler heard the requirement that he thought was the application for inheriting eternal life, he, he probably smiled. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe even squared his shoulders, sighed with relief, and said to Jesus, all these have I kept from my youth. I can almost hear the attitude, what else you got, Jesus? I'm acing this exam. He had conquered the commandments, or at least the ones that had to do with doing outward things, and he was proud of his religious activity. But Jesus is making a point, and I don't want you to miss it this morning. It's relatively easy to keep the external rule book, but no one, regardless of how religious they are, no one, regardless of how faithful they are to church or how generous they are with offerings to church, there is no one good enough to inherit eternal life. It does not matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how powerful or influential you are. No one can change who they are on the inside. Only Jesus can change you. The rich young ruler came confidently to Jesus. He was convinced his application would be accepted. I mean, after all, look at me. Do you see who I am and what I've done? Here's my resume. He wasn't used to being rejected, this rich young ruler. 
I find it interesting that Matthew's account of this story frames his question like this. Good master, what good thing must I do? Now, he was sure that he could do whatever good thing Jesus was going to tell him to do. The reason I know this is because how he asked the question. Good master, what good thing must I do? If you're terrible at math, you're not going to go to an algebra whiz and say, hey, what, what hard algebraic formula can you give me so that I can solve? Unless you are absolutely sure you can solve it. So we know he was confident that he could do whatever good thing that Jesus wanted him to do. But listen, you never get anywhere with God confessing how good you are. Jesus told the story about the Pharisee and the publican in the temple. And the Pharisee is up where everyone can see him and his righteous robes literally are wrapped around him. And the publican is over in the corner where no one can see. And the Pharisee is getting ready to pray. And we see him there and, and his face is towards heaven and his hands are upraised. And we're waiting to hear what this great religious man will pray. And what does he say? Oh, Father, oh, Lord, I thank you that I am not like other men. I thank you, Lord, that I give of my tithes and I fast twice a week. He was confessing how good he was to God. Prophet Isaiah said, all of our good works are filthy rags when it comes to being accepted by God for eternal life. And then the scene shifts to the publican and Jesus says he's over in a dark corner beating his chest saying, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said that man went back to his house justified because you never get anywhere with God confessing how good you are this rich young ruler was convinced he was good enough to inherit eternal life, which is why he came to Jesus to ask what good thing. And this is why Jesus begins by confronting this man's understanding and definition of goodness. This rich young ruler said, what must I do? What good thing must I do? Good master. And did you, have you noticed that Almost always when Jesus is asked a question, he answers it with a question. Sometimes when I want to know if, if it's the Lord talking to me, right? You do that sometimes, right? Is this the Lord? Is this the devil? Is this just my crazy mind? A lot of times I'll be able to tell, not just by this, but often the Holy Spirit will speak to me with a question. Why don't you? do this? Why are you doing that? And Jesus answers this rich young ruler's question with a question. And the very first question Jesus asks him is, why do you call me good? Already Jesus is zeroing in on what really matters when it comes to eternal life. What really matters is what you think of Jesus. Why do you call me good? No, no, no. Forget about all the good things you've done. What do you think of me? What do you believe about Jesus? Right? And then Jesus said to him, there is none good, 
but one, and that is God. Now listen, Jesus was saying two things by saying those words. By saying there is none good but God, he is telling this rich young ruler this, if God alone is good, that means you're not. And secondly, if God alone is good, do you believe me to be God? Because you came asking good master, what good thing must I do? The rich young ruler answers, in essence, I'm good enough. All these commands I've kept from my youth, but in obeying the outside, he had ignored the inside. It's easy to do in church because we can dress up to please people on the outside. We can, when we know people are watching or we think people might be watching, it's easy to behave. Right? And we're going to do the right thing. Everybody's watching. Somebody's watching. So we'll do the right thing. But, and then in church, what often happens is if we do the right thing, if we play by all the right rules, then people will come to us, and it's no fault of theirs, but they'll come to us and they'll pat us on the back and shake our hand and say, wow, we really appreciate you. You're such a good person, and we're so thankful and blessed to have you in our congregation, right? And if you're not careful, you'll begin believing what other good people say about you. I went to God's Bible school in 1988. I was 18 years old. I came from a wonderful godly heritage. My parents were and are the real deal. They lived what they preached. But I wasn't a believer. I wasn't saved. I thought I was, but I wasn't. And they immediately put me in a PR group, a quartet to sing, and I sang all over the country. And when I would sing, people would shout and get blessed. And afterwards, they would come to me and say, wow, what a blessing you were. And man, you know, all of these wonderful words of commendation. And, and, and here was my reasoning. I knew there were things that were wrong on the inside. I mean, I couldn't escape that. I knew there were some things that were broken in my heart. But my reasoning went like this. These things must not be too bad because look how good I'm doing out here. God does see your external, but He's zeroing in on your heart this morning. What no one else can see. Your wife can't see your heart. Your husband can't. Those closest to you, they really can't know your heart. In fact, can I tell you something? You can't know your heart without the enablement of the Holy Spirit. This rich young ruler came saying, I'm good enough. Listen, real religion doesn't begin with religious activity. Inheriting life, eternal life, isn't about being good enough. It's not about crossing all the external T's and dotting all of the outward I's. The rich young ruler said, I'm good, I'm good enough. But Jesus knew this young man's heart and He knew that He was not Lord of it. He saw past the external show. Jesus looked past the superficial facade he saw beneath the surface to see who this rich young ruler really was. And in the middle of this intense exchange, because now the rich young ruler has heard the truth, he's seen the truth, the Bible says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. I can't, I can't even really imagine Jesus seeing me for who I am, really am, apart from His grace and loving me. I'm ugly. 
I'm ugly, I'm twisted, I, my heart is, is black, I have nothing of good or spiritual worth without the grace of God. I can't imagine that, that God would ever look at me in my sinful condition when He did and, and ever love me. And Jesus saw this rich young ruler's heart, even though He knew his heart was really in rebellion against Him, He loved him anyway. I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning but I came to tell you, Jesus, you're not keeping any secrets from Jesus. He knows exactly who you are. And He loves you anyway. And He's willing to accept your full surrender. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 21. One thing thou lackest. Think about that. This man didn't lack anything. I mean, he was extremely wealthy. Think about those words. Can you imagine saying to a rich man, you don't have everything? You think you have everything. That's what Jesus is saying. One thing thou lackest. Now listen, he wasn't saying you only have one problem. He was saying on this one thing hangs every other spiritual issue in your life. If you'll deal with this the way I want you to, everything else in your spiritual existence will fall into place. And many times, church people, there's one thing in our heart that we're not willing to surrender. And only when we surrender that thing will all the other pieces begin to find their proper place. You say, I know what this guy's problem was. It was his possessions. Jesus didn't want him to be rich. But listen, remember, he wasn't look Jesus wasn't looking at his possessions. He was looking at his heart. Jesus didn't have any problem with this guy being rich. Don't misunderstand here. The heart was the problem. His heart valued his treasures and his possessions more than anything else. His treasures defined him. It wasn't, it wasn't his treasures that were the problem. It was the treasurer. You say, well, phew, I'm off the hook because if you saw my checking account, you know, you know I don't have very much, so Jesus must not be talking to me. But listen, it was never about this man's money. It was about his attitude and affection towards his money. Because, you know, money means giving up not just your treasures, but your saying goodbye to close friends. Because some people are only your friends because of what they get from you. He was saying goodbye to his reputation. His reputation was wealth. He was saying goodbye to that if he were to obey Jesus. He was saying goodbye to his social standing. All the clubs that he was a part of, they would revoke his membership immediately if he wasn't paying his dues. All of the cultural advantages he had as a wealthy man would be gone. But listen to me. The sad truth of this story is that he treasured all of those things more than he treasured a relationship with Jesus Christ. He wasn't ready to bow the knee and confess that he wasn't good enough, that only Jesus was good enough. You remember in Matthew 6, verse 19, where Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. You remember that, right? Do you know those words, lay not up, in their original form, translated literally, they mean don't treasure. So Jesus is saying in Matthew 6, 19, don't treasure 
earthly treasures. Don't place inordinate value on earthly things. Don't treasure the things of this earth. We've heard it said, one man's junk is another man's treasure. You may take me to your home someday, and I've had this happen, and someone's very proud of their collection of whatever it is, and they tell me all the reasons why it's so important and so valuable and why it means so much, and, and I'm doing all the right things outwardly, right? I'm ooing and aahing, and wow, that's really great, but inwardly, I'm sorry, I'm thinking, I don't get it. Well, the sad fact is I do the same thing, I'm sure. I'll tell people, you know, you got to see this and and they might be doing all the right things but not understand because some things are valuable to you that aren't to me and vice versa. Jesus said, don't treasure earthly treasures. Don't place value on things and possessions and money and comfort and security. What is it that you treasure? I grew up in southern Indiana where basketball was a religion and every hoop was a god. <laughs> I defy you to find any driveway south of Bloomington, Indiana that didn't have a, have a goal in their, in their yard. I heard young men say, basketball is life. Around Columbus, you may say football is life. But what they're saying is this is what means the most to me. I'm the happiest. I'm the most fulfilled when I'm on the basketball court. What do you treasure most? Maybe it's a career, ambition. I want to make a name for myself. I want to climb the ladder. There's things I want to do. And sometimes people in church, especially young people, but people will say in church, you know, I know this is the right way and I know Jesus is the Savior of the world and I do want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. But there's some things I want to do first. Right? I'd like to have some pleasure first. I want to try some things out first. And then after I've had my fun in the world, then I'll come back and give my heart to the Lord. That almost never happens. You want to know why? Because you, you underestimate the deadening power of sin. That little flicker of desire for God that you have right now, the moment you give yourself over to sin, sin has the ability to squash that desire and kill it. And it might just be a week, a month, or a year, and you no longer have any desire for God or ever to come back to Jesus. Sin not only deadens spiritual desire, but it debilitates you, it enslaves you, it addicts you, and you do all of these things that you want to do. They're so much fun and they feel so good, but it's not long down that road until you don't choose those things anymore. They have you in their grip and they will not let you go. And how many people have I seen as a pastor and an evangelist who are trying desperately to serve God and break free, but the sins in their life have so enslaved them they never dreamed they would be in that condition, but that's what happens when you say, you know, I, I want Jesus, but I want to do my own thing first. Sometimes relationships are our treasure. Melody and I could take you to a friend of ours, a young lady who went to a Bible college, a good, a good place, and she met a boy, and she had to have him. 
and against the advice of her godly parents and against the advice of her spiritual leaders who begged her not to go through with it, she said, I won't be happy unless I have him. And she married him. And there's no words this morning to describe the hell on earth that her life has become because of that decision, because she was defined by that relationship. She had to have him more than she had to have him. And she would stand here today. If she were here, she would stand here today. Thank God she's come back to the Lord. She would be the first on her feet this morning to tell you that's exactly what happened in her life. You wouldn't have to look at her very long to understand the effects of sin have taken their toll on her. Because we lay up our treasures on earth and this is what happens. So often there is one thing on which your relationship with God hinges. Let me divest you of the suspense. Yes, He will ask you for that. You say, is God going to ask me for that thing? Absolutely He will. He absolutely is asking you for that thing. You know how I know? Because God wants everything. God's not willing to be 99% in charge of your life. If He's not Lord of everything, He's not Lord at all. You say, well, wait a minute. I mean, Jesus wouldn't ask me to empty my bank account. I mean, Jesus wouldn't ask me to empty my savings account and just give to the poor and, and just follow Him by faith. Jesus might ask this guy to do it, but he, you know, he wouldn't ask me. And I would urge you to be careful because you're starting to redefine the Gospel. Because we start molding Jesus into our image. We all want a nice middle-class American Jesus. One that won't ask us to give up our comforts and security and convenience to follow Him. One that wouldn't ask us to suffer and take a risk so that His kingdom might be advanced. That's the kind of Jesus we want. But as I mentioned last night, and I tell you again, Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus is saying, you take care of my kingdom. You make my kingdom the priority, and I'll make sure your kingdom is taken care of. Christ will have no competitors. It's His kingdom. It's His glory. It's His name that matters, not yours. Jesus said, if you love your life, you will lose it. But if you hate your life, you will keep it. Jesus defined keeping and losing and loving and hating in terms that are diametrically opposed to human logic. So what's the lesson we learned from this story? You ready? The person who holds on loses. The rich young ruler, the Bible says, went away grieved and sorrowful. Why? He couldn't let go of his possessions. He treasured his wealth more than the treasures of Christ. Did you hear what Jesus said to him? I don't think this rich young ruler ever heard everything Jesus said. Because Jesus said to him, sell all that you have and come follow me and you will have treasure. He didn't even hear that. And if he did, he decided he wanted his treasure, not Christ's. You see, some of you are here this morning, and God's thumb is in my back right now. Some of you are here this morning saying, it costs too much to follow Jesus. 
But let me tell you and assure you this morning, the cost of not following Jesus is far greater than any cost you must pay. The person who lets go wins. It's a lot easier, folks, to willingly let go of that thing God is asking for than to hold on to it and wait until God comes one day to pry it out of your hand. Think of the little boy who was playing with a penny. You know, little boys think even pennies are valuable, and he liked that little penny. And He was playing, and he got careless in the living room, and he dropped that penny down one of his mother's long neck vases. And he was... He was frustrated and he was scared because he he was losing his penny. And so he reached his little chubby hand down through that long neck and and grabbed a hold of that penny and, and then tried to pull his hand out and he couldn't. And he got desperate and he was trying to get his hand out of the vase when his older sister came in and said, what are you doing? And he said, "I, I can't get my hand out. And she said, silly, just open up your hand. And he said, oh, I can't do that. I'd let go of my penny. He was willing to hold on to a penny and stay enslaved. I go a lot of places. We're in a different church every week of the year, just about different parts of the world, and I see people with a vase on their arm because they're not willing to let go and just let God have everything. There's something that is so very valuable that they can't imagine living without. But listen to me this morning. One of these days, all of us will stand before God, and I promise you, that thing that you think is so important will look like a penny on that great day. And here's something else to consider. I've had this happen to me, and maybe to you as well. God asks you for everything. That doesn't mean He's going to keep everything. Sometimes God asks you for something just so He knows and you know you're willing. And once you give it to Him, He'll give it right back. But first, you have to be willing to give it to Him whether He gives it back or not. I love, uh, I love what we're getting ready to do just a little bit. You say, what's that? We're going to eat, right? Now, this isn't the exactly like a church pitch-in, but I think you understand the concept, right? A church pitch-in is where you know you bring enough for your family and I bring enough for my family. We all bring enough and then we just put it together and we share, right? I, now, I have friends that, that don't like those kind of meals because they're scared of what you know, someone might bring. But I, here's, here's my philosophy. People are, never bring to a church you know, uh, pitch-in dinner. They don't go to, to Meijer or whatever grocery store you have around here and get a generic can of corn. and, and that's, you know, They're going to bring the most famous dish they have, right? So I think I'm going to get the very best. Well, let's suppose that you find out late. The church is having a pitch-in, and it's an hour away, but you know you have to bring something, and so you rush home, and you open up the refrigerator, and to your dismay, the only thing in there is a package of bologna, and you get it out and open it up, and to your horror and chagrin, there's just one slimy piece of bologna in the bottom of the pack. But that's all you have. So you get it out and run to the pantry and look for bread, and you get the little the bag of bread that's there, and you open it up, and... Lo and behold, all that's left are just the two heels. And there's a little bit of mold on one of them, you know. It's just, ugh. You don't know what else to do. And so you grab that slimy piece of bologna and put it on that crusty 
piece of bread and go back over to the refrigerator to see if there's any condiments you can find to put on it to make it more palatable. And you find the mustard jar and you open it up and there's hardly any mustard at all. You have to get the knife by its end and, you know, dangle it down in the jar to, to get a little bit of mustard to slap it on the bologna, right? And you're so embarrassed, but that's all you have. And so you put the two heels together on that bologna and put it in a paper sack and off to the church pitch in you go with your bologna sandwich. And of course, you're late and everybody's already there and there's just one, there's just one place left, right? And it's by folks that have decided to do it right. I mean, she's made, uh, maybe you're sitting down by the lows. Maybe that's who it is. And, she, and, and she's decided to, I mean, she's pulled out all the stops. She's made homemade fried chicken and there's mashed potatoes with chicken gravy and coleslaw and, and sweet tea and coconut cream pie and, and you name it. I mean, she's just homemade uh, crescent rolls. Anyone else hungry? You're killing us, Mark. And they say, hey, come, we're glad you're here. Come and sit down. And you go sit down and they say, listen, this is great. Just put what you brought up here on the table and, 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 and we'll share. How many of you would say, no, 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 you can't have my bologna sandwich. Uh-uh, this is mine. I, I made it myself. I bought it myself. I mean, it was six months ago, but I, I bought it myself it's mine I got it out of my refrigerator and I'm not I'm afraid I can't give this up anyone here would say that no 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 because you know on the other side of this there is a banquet waiting for you you know what Jesus wanted to do with this man he was asking this man to trade treasures with him he was saying, you give me your treasure, I'll give you mine. And anyone who knows Jesus knows we always win in that deal. Because what we give to Jesus is a bologna sandwich. I mean, and listen to me, listen to me this morning. It's not that God needs your bologna sandwich, but you desperately need his chicken. You desperately need what God can give to you. God's not trying to rain on your parade. He's not trying to, to make your life miserable. He's wanting to trade treasures with you. And the only way you get his treasure, which is endless grace and happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction and mercy and healing and companionship and friendship, all of those things that the human spirit longs, the only way you get that is when you give everything that you have to him. And just say, Lord, here it is. It's my bologna sandwich, and I don't know why it means so much to me, but Lord, if you want it, you can have it. And in that moment... You trade treasures with Jesus. Can I tell you, you'll never be the same and you'll never be sorry that you let go and let God have your treasure. Would you stand with me this morning? And Melody, would you come to the piano? There's someone here who needs to trade treasures with Jesus and I don't know who it is, but there's at least one person here that needs to and I'm opening the altar this morning. The last service of revival this is why we have revival right here. Who would like to come out of the balcony and we'll wait for you and come right down here and tell three worlds I'm trading treasures with Jesus this morning. Or maybe someone here who would say, I know I need to pray. I need to give some things to God and this is my morning. God's had his thumb in my back all morning about this very truth 
And I don't know you, I don't know who I'm speaking to, but God does. And you have a wonderful opportunity right now. Jesus has his arms outstretched. He wants to trade treasures. Why don't you come this morning and just give God that one thing. Sign the deed over to him. Let him have everything. Amen. I want us to sing that chorus together, the verse and chorus, all to Jesus I surrender. While we're singing, mind the Lord, step out, let's pray together. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily. Two have come. Why don't you step out? I surrender all. The best decision of your life. I surrender. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. Sing another verse. Sing that verse again. All to Jesus, I surrender. God bless you this morning. All to Him, I (laughs) I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily. Sing it out. I surrender all. I surrender chorus again. I surrender all. God's here this morning. I surrender all. Yes, I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I before Brother Tony says anything, I'm going to get out of the way, but I just have, feel like I need to say something. Yes. God is so yes. here this morning. Yes, He is. It's going to be easy for you to get what you need. Absolutely. It's not going to be a fight this morning, and I just don't want anyone to walk out of here and miss the opportunity that's right before you today. Don't let the devil lie to you and tell you all the things he's telling you right now. This will be the best thing you do is just come and let God have it all. God's here. Needs are being met. Answers to prayer are happening right now.
We're going to sing it one more time. Yes. And then, Brother Tony, you can do with it, obviously, whatever you feel led to do. But let's sing that chorus again. Mind God. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee. it is for us to be mistaken about how good we are. Matthew's account, I remember a message that Brother Wilson preached, and the young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. And he looked at Jesus and he said, what lack I yet? I've got youth. I'm young, I'm good looking, I got money, I've got power and authority. <clears throat> Jesus, I aced your exam. And how easy it is, and I'm just going to share my testimony, very short. But I was thinking the same way that that young rich ruler was thinking. I left my home, I left my family, left my brothers, been away from my home for 55, 56 years, didn't get to see my family on all the holidays, came out here and said to myself, I've made some big sacrifices, left everything that I've known left my family, which I love, gave it all up. But as I begin to grow in the Lord, the Lord began to show me exactly what Mark's preaching this morning. And I'm still struggling to let go of things. I don't think we ever get over surrendering because the world is so intoxicating. And the things that are in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, there's so many things out there that we like and our flesh likes and we have that bend in that direction. And it's so easy to be standing in a pew and hear a wonderful sermon like this and say in our own mind to God or even to the preacher's sermon, what lack I yet? And yet when you compare Jesus' treasures to whatever this earth can make you think is a treasure, everything in this world is going to melt and burn. Everything. And the only thing you can take out of it is your relationship with God. And that's everything. And it's a continual, sanctify them, Lord, through the truth. Keep setting them further and further away from the world and the things of the world. 
And it just becomes a way of life for every child of God. And I agree with Mark. I, I can't imagine how many people in this audience that one thing is in the way. Maybe those two things are in the way. And it's hard to let go because you're not sure God's program is better than yours. But trust me, it is. And you don't want to spend an eternity regretting an eternity regretting and all the opportunities that you were given in your lifetime, all the altar calls, all the testimonies, all the people that wept, the parents that were praying for you. You can't walk over all of that. Then ask Mark to sing another verse. And if no one else moves, we're going to leave it with you. But I, I, I feel strongly there's, there's some people here that need to pray. And it's such an easy thing to do. So while Brother Mark sings, anybody else just need a little more time? You've got to make up your mind to let go of what is destroying you and to grab and lay hold of that which will give you life. Amen. You can do it. Amen. God bless your heart. Let's sing that chorus together. I surrender all. I surrender all. Anybody else want to pray? All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. Sing it again, Mark. Just one more time. I surrender all. God bless your heart. It's not easy. But it'll become easy if you let the Lord have his way. All to thee, my God bless you, Daryl. God bless your heart. Savior, let go. I surrender all. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank God for his faithfulness. Praise the Lord. I hate to even read the announcements and break the spirit of this altar call. Yes. Okay. All to Jesus I surrender all to him I free. Oh soul. Won't you come home? Where are you? I will ever God loves you. Love and trust him in his presence daily. I think the Lord's moving. We'll see. I 
even 1130 yet. I surrender God bless you. Miranda. There's others. To thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. One more verse, Mark. They're still coming. They're still coming. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to Him, I free. I seem like the Lord's making it easy. Anybody else? And trust him in his It's been a fabulous meeting. Brother Yoder hit the nail right on the head. These services will have lasting results. Anyone else? Young or old? To thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All hearts satisfied. Yes. Come on, brother. This brother's got something to say. Most of you know, he came home just four months ago and his 18-year-old son had hung himself. And he's had a lot of burdens ever since. So let's hear what God's given him to say. I just wanted to share real quickly something I felt on my heart. And uh, as we're here this morning and you think about, I mean, I, I know for myself, you know, when Pastor Sanku's thinking, I don't, who here can say there's not something, you know, in your heart something in your life that you can't give to Christ right now. And this is where revival starts. We talk about revival. We say, God, we want you so much. We want your presence. We want to see you move. You want to see you change us, change our church. This is where it starts, right here, right now. And it's just thinking, you know, we're at so many different places in our walk with Christ, right? Some are here or some are here. But when do we get to the point where we say, I've given it all? When do we get to that point? And I just encourage you. I know I'm going to go down to the altar myself, but I just encourage you to think about that. This is where revival starts. You want God to show up? He's come. You want revival to start? Now's a great opportunity. God bless you.